0: Well, if you would, turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. I don't know about you, but I am loving the study of this book. It's been a long time since I've dug deep in Nehemiah, and uh, I don't, woe is me. I, I, it's just it's wonderful. Just a reminder as you're turning uh, that <clears throat> coming this uh, 22nd is when we're having Dr. Tom Mack, who's the academic vice president of Cedarville University, address politics and Christianity can't think of a more relevant topic in this time frame. Uh, and so, it, again, it's not a pro-Democrat. It's not a pro-Republican Party uh, an event. It's rather simply, what does the Scripture say about the role of a Christian in politics? So uh, Tom has given a lot of thought to this, and I assure you, you will not be disappointed. Uh, I'll give you your money back. Of course, it doesn't cost, but uh, uh, I, uh, I can't give your time back. But it, it's worth coming to I'm sorry, March 20. Thank you. Yeah, I misspoke on a, a date last week, and I'll correct that as well. So thank you. I'm going to blame it on antibiotics, but I think it's turning 50, but we won't go there. <laughs> so the book of Nehemiah, let me just review. I'm going to beat this till we're getting sick of hearing it, but we, we need to hear it. The, the overarching idea of this book is that God is sovereign, that the people of God must depend upon him, and that's going to be an issue in chapter 5, isn't it? And that Full restoration is yet for the future, uh, and that kind of looms in this book. Uh, and we have observed in the last, really, the first four chapters, not so much chapter three, because that was laying out how they were building the walls and the gates, rebuilding them, is that Jerusalem, and the green is the province of Judah during the Persian Empire, so we're in the 440s, I misspoke last week, I said it was 500 years, no, the temple was destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians, they're returning in about the four mid-400s, all Right. So I kind of give you the time frame. But we mentioned that in the red are, is the opposition to the Israelites rebuilding the wall around the, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem. So you've got Sambalat, you've got Tobiah. Uh, you've got the Samaritans, you've got the Ammonites, you've got the nomadic groups with Geshem, the Arabs down in the south, and you have Ashdod, the former uh, Philistine territory. And so the Israelites are surrounded, but you get the idea up until now that all's well with the world, right? Within the camp. They're just loving one another. Everyone's involved. Chapter 5, you realize, oh, no, wait a minute. There's some serious problems even within the camp. So look at chapter 5, verse 1, and let's and observe this. It says, then there was a great outcry from the people and their wives. Uh-huh. Yeah, all right, we got a real issue now, right? The women are involved. We'll talk about why they're mentioned in a minute. Against their Jewish countrymen. So now, now the problem is internally, And some would argue this is far worse. We can handle opposition on the outside, but when it's on the inside, things can really start. I love Swindoll. He mentioned something to the effect of the chiseling of the walls has ceased or is being drowned out by the cries of their wives. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. And notice what their complaint is. There were those who said, and we're going to have three groups, with our sons and daughters, we are many. We must obtain grain in order to eat and continue living. So what are we dealing with? Starvation. Right? This isn't just, you know, we need a, a gift card to the Golden Corral. Uh, we're, we're starving. Right? There were the others who said we are putting up our fields, our vineyards, our houses, and collateral in order to obtain great uh, grain during the famine. So you got another group who says, you know, we're, we're putting all, everything on loan and just to, to be able to eat. And then, watch the last group. Then there were those who said, we've borrowed money to pay our taxes on our fields and our vineyards. And now, though we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow countrymen, and our children are just like their children, still we have found it necessary, watch this, to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. They're selling their kids off in order to eat, in order to survive. It gets worse because... This, I'm reading out of the Net Bible, it says some of our daughters have been subjected to slavery. That seems redundant, doesn't it? What does the last clause say? Subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Then we say it again. It's because in the Hebrew here, it has sexual overtones. They're even selling their daughters into prostitution. Most likely. Well. We are, things are not good in the camp. That's how bad it is. And while we are without power to help since our fields, our vineyards now belong to other people. Notice Nehemiah's response. It is the first time that he responds with this uh, has this type of response. Is I was very angry. And I heard their outcry and their complaints. I considered these things carefully and then registered, it's a legal term, a complaint with the wealthy and the officials. I said to them, each of one of you is seizing the collateral from your own countrymen. Because of them, I called for a great assembly. I said to them, to the extent possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who had been sold to the Gentiles. But now you yourselves want to sell your own countrymen so that you can then buy them a back. And they were utterly silent and could not have... They didn't have anything to say, right? Guilty as charged. Right? Then I said... The thing that you are doing is wrong. Should you not conduct yourselves in the fear of God as to not to come under the reproach of the Gentiles? I mean, that's the issue back in chapter 4 verse 4. He says, we are being repro- your name and we are being reproached by the, 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 the accusations leveled by the enemies around us. And now he's saying, you're giving them validity to their claim by how you're acting. He said, but watch verse 10. Watch the pronoun. Even I and my relatives and my associates are lending them money and grain. What's he saying? (laughs) I'm just as guilty to one level. Uh, I don't think full knowing what they're doing. But he said, I too have been loaning. Which tells us what about Nehemiah's pocketbook. He's wealthy. He's influential. Uh, Nehemiah belongs to a... probably a very prestigious family. We know that because earlier, remember, it was his brother that came and gave him the report about, so we know there's this delegation, at least he's a foreign ambassador or some type of delegate. But Nehemiah says, you know, I, I stand there with you, It says, let us abandon this preference of seizing collateral. This very day, return to them their fields, their vineyards, their olive trees, their houses, along with interest on the money. I love that he mentioned olive trees. Even today, if you cut down an olive tree, it is illegal in Israel. They're that valued. You You don't cut down an olive tree. And if you cut down an olive tree... It's enormous ramifications because it takes years for it to grow back, etc, etc. Their houses along with their interest on the money, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil that you're extracting from them or exacting from them, they replied we will return these things, we will no longer demand anything from them, we will do just as they, as you say. Then I called the priest this <laughs> is great, well let's bring in the, the pastor just to make sure you're you're doing this, right? He brings the priest and made them swear to do this, what they agreed on. He even goes one step further Further. This reminds me of the prophets of old. He goes, he gives them an object lesson. I shook out my garment. I said in this very way, may God shake out from his house and his property every person who does not carry out this matter in this way. They will be shaken out and emptied. All the assembly replied, amen. Right? So be it. And they pro- they praised the Lord. And the people did as they had agreed. This text is so rich. There is so much that we can walk away with. But uh, if you look at page one of the notes under letter A, again, let me just kind of give you uh, this backdrop. There are scholars who argue that what happens in chapter five, because we're gonna look at the latter part of chapter five next week, is that these are two weeks from now. Reminder, we don't meet next week. Uh, Note your calendars on that. I'll send out another reminder. We do not meet next week. I was supposed to be in Greece giving a tour and doctor said you're not leaving the country so uh, unfortunately this room is booked so we'll just resume in two weeks alright but we'll, we'll get back to chapter 5 um, but here you have uh, Nehemiah this 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 situation and some would argue no 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 it, it's happening later in his, his rule as governor I don't think so and many scholars believe no these issues have been bubbling to, and, and what's created it, bringing it to the surface is the building of the walls. Let me, let me explain why. Number one, literarily and, and, and textually, there's no support that this chapter occurred elsewhere. Nehemiah has placed it right after chapter 4. So it's fitting with that time frame. Secondly, a public outcry like this would need to be addressed immediately. Mc, uh, Williamson in his commentary says, Had he taken no action, if Nehemiah hadn't responded, and you could see that, right? Oh, you know I, I, I I'm with the wealthy. I, I know the officials let them be they're just a you know, it's a group of women complaining once again, right? You know, they don't like that we're coloring the walls blue rather than red. I don't know. Um, and he said, had he taken no action, it's likely at it best that he would have lost the service of many of his workers. And at worst, the civil unrest would have developed. The The whole building project is in dire straits because of this situation. And what is it I think is going on is that, remember, Nehemiah required the men to work on the walls, meaning they're not home helping with uh, grain, helping with the harvest. Many scholars believe we're dealing with August, September, which is the time frame when you paid the royal taxes to the Persian Empire. It's when they claimed, was, uh, you know, a, a portion of the goods. I mentioned it's it's kind of like April the 15th for them, right? Uh, Notice what I state there in your text. Without the ability to return, return home, these men could not assist their families in gathering the produce necessary to pay the creditors. And who does this problem then fall on? The women? That's why they're upset. We're here trying to gather the, the, the produce, trying to pay the bills and care for our kids. And, and th- you got to remember, th- there's no reserve. There's no bank that you can just, uh, everything, they're, they're living from paycheck to paycheck and not even that, right? And so things are, are very dire. And I, I think that the building of the wall only exasperated the whole problem for the Jews. And that's why chapter 5 is where it is. And so I do believe this weds with the building of the wall. I think th- this is occurring during that time frame. Questions on that? That is debated. But uh, I'm, I feel pretty strong on that. Well, let's look at the text then and holler if you have a question. Verse 1, we're told that there is a great outcry. Did you see that in verse 1? The, the verbiage there is the same used of the Egyptians and Pharaoh when they lost their firstborn. There was a great outcry. This isn't, oh, we're really upset. No, no, no. This is a mob scene. These men and women, particularly women, have had it, right? And you don't tick off a Jewish mama. And so that's where we are, right? Things are not well, And and again, the the wives are highlighted, which the text tells you. Now, notice there are three groups, three voices, though most scholars believe it's, while Nehemiah singles them out, it's really the general problem of the group. And that is that, number one, they're facing starvation, right? We see a group here. um, and, And the reason being, the text tells us there's been a famine. If you're living from crop to crop, and you've got a a famine, which is usually more than a couple years, uh, you got a real issue on your hands, right? In an agricultural society, uh, third world really, uh, it's just compounded the problem. Secondly, uh, they're in jeopardy of losing everything. They have mortgaged the house, they've mortgaged everything, and if they can't make one paycheck, they're gonna be filing bankruptcy. For some of them. For others, they have nothing left. They're even selling their children. And I mentioned this. What I want you to see in your notes under uh, that third bullet point of on page two, and I mentioned this, debt slavery was not illegal according to the Mosaic Law. You could sell your child with an understanding that eventually you would pay the, the debtor the debt And have the child back. Now, look at this in Exodus 21. This is so foreign to us. I've had (laughs) one person say, Well, I would have sold my child, been happy to get rid of him, but uh, that's not what we're dealing with here, all right? Uh, Exodus 21 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year, what? He will go free. So what this was meant to do is to help those in need and say, okay, I will hire your child for six years. They're going to work for me. That will give you the income you need. And at the seventh year, I'm going to return the child to you. So, however, what we see here is that we're going to see this in a minute. They're selling their their children to Gentiles, which was forbidden. They were not allowed to do that. And furthermore, and I mentioned this in your notes, they were not to charge interest to their own countrymen. And that's true even in a, a Muslim culture today, by the way. You you can't you can't charge interest to a fellow Muslim uh, if you loan them money. And that's the idea here. Look at Deuteronomy 23. Look at the law. Look what it says. This is the Mosaic law. In other words, by the way, they're... they're they're breaking the law of, of what it's requiring. Uh, 23, 19, and 20. You must not charge interest on a loan to your fellow Israelite, whether on money, food, or anything else that you have loaned with interest. But Gentiles, it was okay to charge interest? Yeah, they got a few more shekels. We can do that. But not to your fellow Jew. Um, it, it, Why? I mentioned this. I quote McConnellville, and I think he's right. It's there in your notes. He says, Rights were not to be insisted on to the extent of exploitation or the causing of intolerable poverty. In short, watch what he states. All actions in the area of economic relations were to be governed by love. It is how the people of God care for one another. The law was... To met to provide unity and care. Uh, our laws under the love of Christ, right? And, and you look at the Book of Acts. Uh, there's a common bond. There's the sharing, etc. That, that's the the attitude behind the law was to care for uh, God's people, and 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 we were to be a participant in that. And so. What you see here is abuse of the Mosaic law. They, they've not only broken the law, they've, they've abused the, the whole spirit of the law. Right? Uh, by enslaving their kids, and, and uh, sexually would have been forbidden altogether, which the text seems to allude to, but selling their children to Gentiles was forbidden, and then to charge interest. To, especially to the point where they're taking everything these people have. Yeah. yeah. Not, uh, not, as I understand among the Orthodox, where's John Lieberman? And my understanding of among the Orthodox, is John here today? No. My understanding among the Orthodox is no. They do not charge interest among their own family, uh, own body. Yeah. Is this similar to being a, uh, two questions, bond, a bond servant, is that? Yeah, that, that's kind of that idea. Yeah, yeah. And also would uh, layman and Joseph, uh, Jacob rather be a part of that as far as when Joseph was sold into slavery. No, no when and uh, when he got Rebecca, went in and worked 14 years for his wife. Uh, that's a, d- a different. We we'll, we'll, we can seven talk year, on that. It uh, was seven-year increment. Yeah, there there is that idea of what he's doing is buying, yeah, his paying off himself, debt so he can the for the dowry purposes. So yeah. Huge portion of the settlement of this country in the 16th, 17th century because
1: yeah. bond slave. Yeah. Servants. Yeah, bond servants.
0: Yeah, Europe was very common, right? Uh, So anyway, let's go back to the text and let's look at this. And as I I mentioned in your notes, I mean, when Nehemiah heard about the condition of the walls, what did he do? Prayed. When he heard the accusations from Sambalat and all the other opposers outside, what did he do? But what does he do here? What's the text tell us? He's angry. Right, Verse 6, he's angry. In fact, the, the question I have in your notes is why do you think Nehemiah didn't go to prayer? At least the text doesn't. Mention him going to prayer. Nor does he have the wealthy or the officials pray about it. Well, let's pray about what we need to do here. Why don't they? Why doesn't Nehemiah, why don't the wealthy? Yeah. <laughs> they already have God's word. Right? I, uh, you know, it's like it's counseling you guys. Well, I'm really praying about, you know, whether I, I should um, stop the affair I'm having. <laughs> Why are you praying about it? <laughs> Scripture's very clear, right? Uh, and that's an extreme. But you get the idea, right? You know, sometimes I stop praying. The Lord's made it very obvious. I think he's, you idiot. Why are you coming to me? I already told you, right? Uh, that's the idea. Uh, Nehemiah doesn't need to pray about this. He knows it's wrong. He knows the law. And he knows they know the law. I mean, look at their response in verse 8. They were utterly silent. They don't have anything to say. They've been caught dead in their tracks. You, you know? Uh, we know where we stand. The the Hebrew is very interesting because it says, when I heard all this in verse 7, I had... Um, these complaints. I consider these things carefully. It literally had to restrain himself. There is a time for anger. And later, Paul state in Ephesians that we're to be angry and sin not. We're not to let the sun go down on our wrath. In other words, there is a place for righteous anger. And, and some would argue this is righteous anger. But that Hebrew term seems to indicate uh, he's wanting to lacerate them. <laughs> he's wanting to, to bury them in the foundation of the one wall, right? Uh, I still think there might be a few buried in that cement down below uh, the, the water gate. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but you get the idea. Uh, things are are not well. And so notice what he levels against them. He levels the following accusations. They're seeing the collateral, seizing the collateral from their, uh, their own people, but to a level they're serving as evil pawnbrokers. You know, the interest rate you're charging is astronomical. Now, there is an indication here, some have argued that they were only charging them 12%, but nonetheless, it, it's it's overbearing. Uh, they're in a crisis. There's a famine. the 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 men have been called to to build the wall, so they can't be in the farm in the fields. And so there's there's a major issue here. Secondly, he says you're selling your own people into slavery. And the text is clear here. He said. You, you, you. we purchased Jewish slaves from the Gentiles in order to rescue them and you turn around and going, and, and, and sell them right back to them slavery should be to the Gentiles an abomination why what happened back in Egypt we left that sucker right we're not going back there and that's the idea he goes we're not going back to the days of, of Egypt are we And the worst accusation that he levels is that they are not living in fear of God. Right? Their selfish living is tarnishing the name of the Lord. It's bad enough that Sambalat's words are bringing reproach to God, but your actions are not only validating Sambalat in one way, but because you too are bringing reproach to the Lord. Uh, Gene Getz makes this statement in his book. On the, it's a study book on, on Nehemiah. It is superb. It's even in your notes. But he says, while they were praying to God for help and assistance in rebuilding the wall, I mean, chapter three or four, we had a prayer service, right? Lord, and he says, which God was granting freely and without interest. <laughs> I love that, right? They were ignoring his commands. It's easy for us to sit here in 2020 and, and say, oh, you awful Israelites, but uh, careful, you know, uh, you know, we call to the Lord for his assistance, his blessings, etc., and yet over here we've got this sin that we just keep kicking around and enjoying on the side. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's why 1 John says in 3, 6, a believer doesn't sin. Uh, The NIV says he doesn't go on sinning. Uh Uh-uh. It's not habitual. Sin is so foreign. It should be so foreign to the believer. Now, John isn't saying that you've perfection this side of eternity. Because he says earlier in chapter 1, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive. But sin should be so foreign to us. Right? When I look at Paul, the, 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 the longer he serves the Lord, the Apostle Paul, and the, the closer he grows in, in, in his knowledge of God, the greater his understanding that he is one sick puppy. Right? Some of the most humble men I know have a really healthy view of God and a really healthy view of themselves. <laughs> they go hand in hand. And the sad part is the Israelites are doing what often I, you know, I can even be guilty of. I confess, you know, you're praying to the Lord for X, Y, and Z, and yet you got problems over here you need to be dealing with. And it's I love what Get states. Uh, well, it's too convicting. Let's move along, right? Well, we we have here that. Uh, Kidner states this, Nehemiah sees now the depth of poverty that is called for the gifts. I mean, he states in verse ten, you know i'm I'm even guilty of giving these loans, though he does disassociate with them a little bit here. I, I don't think he's done it to a level of abuse, but he's also realized, I've only compounded the problem. I've contributed to what's happening here. And he says, except indirectly by the use of I. And so in verse 11, what does he want them to do? Scholars debate here. Some argue that they eliminate the debt and return everything they put on loan. Others argue, not only do you return everything that was on loan, but any money you made off of their monies goes back to them as well. Reminds you a little bit of a little wee little man, right? <coughs> Who said, I will pay back not only what I took, but he, was it fourfold? Seven? Is it seven, seven times? Because four is the, well, seven times, I'll return it. Why? Because he's, the money that I made off of it, I'm also going to give back to them. So, you, you have this idea, right? He said, no, no, no. Uh, this is what I want you to do. And again, it was done. He sealed the deal in front of the priest. <laughs> I love how he moved quickly. And then he gives this object lesson. Did you see the word shake? Shake and bake, right? Uh, it's, it's mentioned uh, a couple times there in the text. Did you see that? That Term, which is used three times there in in verse 13, is the same word used when the Lord tossed the Red Sea. He shook it over the Egyptians and killed them. So what's Nehemiah saying? You don't do this, God is going to do to you what he did to the Egyptians. It's clear. Um, And Psalm 136 also uses the term, but I love how the chapter ends. It is the first time in this book we see a worship service in the sense that they're praising the Lord. Why? Because true obedience has taken place. They have they had adhered to the word of God. It says they acted and now they can truly worship Him and praise. This book will end in praise as well when they praise the Lord when the walls are completed. We'll get there and 2022. Uh, no, but w- w- we will get there. Uh, but the idea is that they can break out in true worship because of what God has done. Questions or comments on this text? Isn't it rich? <laughs> uh, it-, it is, there's so much here that's convicting. Let me, uh, yeah, Paul. Question for you, David. Was the year of Jubilee in this time is there any Well, the year of Jubilee was, if you know your Jewish history, know the Old Testament, that was a time frame when the debts were released, the ground was not to be plowed. Some would argue that this is a hybrid of that because they're still plowing the fields. But there is um, (laughs) this injunction that that would resemble that. To alleviate the the pressure so that people can can, uh, live, exist. Yeah. The other part of that, too, is that what I've seen is conscious hate hates when the poor are oppressed. Yeah. I see that so loud and clear. I've seen the Nicaragua world, the poor are just oppressed so badly by people. I mean, they get gambling has to take every penny they have to invest in a raffle ticket, and they're starving their family. Well, uh, I mean, let's face it, even in the United States, we have people that are... Till there is no option but to sell themselves or sell their children, uh, sadly. And that leads me to three points. Number one, how we handle our money directly impacts our testimonies. You all know this. I am preaching to the choir. Uh, We living in 2020, United States, north side of Indianapolis, are blessed beyond measure, right? Um... We can either glorify God with our pocketbook, or we can bring dishonor to His name. There's nothing wrong with money; it's the love of money that's the problem, right? Jesus wore, you know, I. I- You read texts such as Nehemiah here, and I've got my 18 to 22-year-old students that I've had who say, you know, I've had a few who said, you know, I'm going to embrace communism. We just sell everything. Um, No, that's not what scripture's teaching either. Uh, We're in a different political system. Uh, Careful. Jesus wore a seamless robe. That was like driving around in a Bentley, and he did not sell it to give to the poor. So there's a balance here, isn't there, in all of this? But assess your investments. Assess your pocketbooks. Uh, not just what you're spending, but how you're saving. What are you doing with your resources? And I know many of you are heavily involved, and in, uh, uh, Ron Blue has, has much on that and has written much on it. and, and um, if, if you want even to further thought, I've given you some text in the further thought for the rest of the week that you could do. But Ron Blue states, first of all, God has the right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. It is all his because an owner has rights and I as a steward have only responsibilities. I literally possess much but own nothing. And that's a good mantra, isn't it? And so, I challenge you if this is an area that, that you want to explore further, there's some text there. Or you may want to pick up Ron Blue's book, which is excellent. Let me give you a second here. Is honesty in leadership, and many of you are involved in leadership, thwarts Satan's plans. I mean, Satan loves secrecy, doesn't he? on all fronts. (laughs) Uh, And and so being full of integrity, being vulnerable, being transparent as a leader and being honest will thwart Satan's plans. It will honor the Lord and it will bless others, right? Uh, Nehemiah shows this. Look at Proverbs 11.3. Just turn to this little gem. This is a great little nugget nestled in this pearl of wisdom, these pearls of wisdom. Uh, Proverbs eleven three. The text states, the integrity of the upright guides them. And I would also argue it guides others. Nehemiah is an incredible leader. Several of the books that have been written on Nehemiah as a study, such as J.I. Packer's work, or even Gene Getz, they're approaching... The the entire book of Nehemiah on the subject of leadership. I think it's bigger than that. I think it's an issue of character, but certainly leadership is seen there. White makes this comment in Excellence in Leadership. He says, Leaders make mistakes. What marks godly leaders is their willingness to deal with mistakes openly, applying the same criterion to themselves as to others. Right? Nehemiah was quick to throw himself in the lot in chapter 2. It says, We got a problem. And he says it here. I, as well as my relatives, are just as guilty on one front. Right? He's, he's, not, he's not above them. And he easily could have said that, right? You know, I, I am the Artaxerxes representative from the Persian courts. I'm a cupbearer. And I belong to this family that, that lives on this side of the tracks. You know, deal with it. No, he doesn't do that. You think about the risk involved? If he doesn't have the wealth and the the officials behind him in this endeavor, he could have lot, the whole thing would have been shipwrecked. But that didn't stop him from confronting them, right? Uh, yeah, that's Hutzba, uh, Nehemiah. I mean, he's got fires everywhere, and yet he, he he stays tuned to the Lord and to His Word. And that leaves us with the last part. We must be careful in serving the Lord. Ministry is not immune. To sin. I know people. Some people are freaking out over the coronavirus, and there are some reasons why we might do so. Because there is no vaccine. Um, <clears throat> there's no vaccine for sin either, per se, in ministry. Apart from a, a man who keeps his heart in tune with the things of the Lord, right? Walks humbly before God in integrity. And and Nehemiah. <clears throat> indirectly is involved in this problem among his own countrymen, and he says, You know, I repent, we need to move forward and follow the Lord. And I love that we break out in song. Praise. There's a quote at the end of the notes on page four. According to scripture, John MacArthur writes, virtually everything that truly qualifies a person for leadership is directly related to character. It's not about style, status, personal charisma, clout, or worldly measurements of success. I'm careful if you're on a search committee at a church (laughs) or uh, or even hiring someone in your company. Integrity is is the main issue that makes the difference between a good leader and a bad one. Jim Collins and his work on How the Mighty Fall, great little book. On management etc and looking at how companies he has from good to great he's also got how the mighty fall integrity of leadership is one of the key components it's true in business it's true in the church and it's true in the home right father we thank you for Nehemiah these truths just come screaming through the text There's so much here to to wrestle with, from how we handle our pocketbook to how we engage others, not remaining silent when social injustices are present. Father, give us wisdom. As men, Lord, we just pray for lives that are in tune with you, that we walk humbly before you, Thank you for the life of Nehemiah, a man who could have boasted in many things, but humbled himself and did not exempt him from the work that needed to be done for your glory. And that is our prayer for our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.